All right. Good to see each one of you tonight. Uh, if uh, we, those lights are still off back here in the in the back there, Sam, I don't know underneath here. They'll be asleep before I get to the second scripture. <laughs> Some of y'all tired and wore out tonight, aren't you? <laughs> there we go. That got them. Oh, I know the feeling. Amen. <laughs> We're in the tenth chapter of the book of Mark, and. Uh, Verse 32, just three verses tonight will be uh, short verses, but uh, I think there's a powerful, powerful thing that reminds us that we need to be thankful uh, so much so in our world today. Verse 32 of chapter 10, and they were in the way going up to Jerusalem, and Jesus went before them, and they were amazed. And as they followed, they were afraid. And he took again the twelve and began to tell them what things should happen unto him, saying, Behold, we go up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man shall be delivered unto the chief priest, unto the scribes, and they shall condemn him to death, and shall deliver him to the Gentiles. And they shall mock him, and shall scourge him, and shall spit upon him, and shall kill him, and the third day he shall rise again. There are times in my heart when I know that uh, as I just preach through the Bible that without a doubt God has a specific message for a specific time. And tonight is one of those nights. I'd been singing, singing around and we'd been doing videos and just remembering what God has done in this place and uh, how thankful we are and how blessed we are as a church to be where God has us right now. And we're preparing for this building for eternity and just reflecting on what God has done in the past and thinking about what God may do in the future. Uh, it's exciting. It's exciting. Now, Jesus is the real reason to be thankful. Amen? We need to understand that. The only reason we really got to be thankful is because of Jesus Christ. First of all, his destination. Look at it with me. When Jesus came to earth, he was headed somewhere and he knew where he was headed. And that's in simplistic terms. Uh, who wants to know uh, to serve a God who don't know where he's going? I'm telling you, Jesus knew exactly where he was going when he came to this earth. That'd be kind of like the funeral wake of an atheist. Uh, they'd put a three-piece suit on the man, which was something he never wore. And one of his friends walked up to the casket and said, all dressed up and nowhere to go. And that's kind of the way it would be if you had a God that didn't know where he was going. But, but Jesus, aren't you glad he came to earth? He was headed somewhere. We're told twice in our text that Jesus was headed toward Jerusalem. In fact, he said, the scripture says he was headed up toward Jerusalem. Now, this is important. Seems in, in innocent to some, but it's critically important because they were coming toward Jerusalem from the northeast which meant they were coming down to Jerusalem. But see, you, you didn't talk like that when you were a Jew. Uh, it didn't matter which way you was going. If you were headed for Jerusalem, you were headed up to Jerusalem. Because uh, Jerusalem, several reasons, it sat on the backbone-type ridge of the hill that ran north and south between Jordan and the Great Sea. So it was seen geographically as the great city. And then there was a temple that stood there, so it was seen as a great city in spiritual terms. And then Psalms and Matthew spoke of Jerusalem as a city of the great king, so it was seen as a military and a government uh, a great city. 
it was important for all of those things. But Luke 9, 51 tells us that Jesus steadfastly, resolutely set out or set his face for Jerusalem. One version says that he was determined to go to Jerusalem. Why is that important for us? Why do we give thanks that he went to Jerusalem? It wasn't for the geographical place. It wasn't for the, even the spiritual place. It really wasn't for the uh, military or government reasons. It was spiritual and prophetical. Think about the city of Jerusalem. It was called the city of God. It was called the city, uh, holy city. Much good and godly work had been witnessed there within the walls. But there was a dark side to Jerusalem. The residents of Jerusalem would continually fall under the judgment of God because they would abandon his words. They would abandon the will of God. You can see it all the way through the Old Testament, all the way through there. They would get caught up and they'd be in Babylon or they'd be in Syria or they'd be somewhere in captivity and they'd cry out to God, oh God, save us, redeem us. And God would come through and he would save them and redeem them and he would put them on a new plan and man, it would just be great and they would just be praising the Lord and they'd be worshiping him until they got complacent. And then they would start wandering away from the Lord. Folk don't just usually, now not usually, folks don't just usually just say, I'm fed up with this, I'm turning, I'm walking away from God. That's not how folks leave God. Folks leave God drifting away. Just little by little by little. It's kind of like building a house. I'm not a great carpenter. Now, I'm a good rough-in carpenter. I can rough-in and I can demolish anything. I, I, I can tear anything up. But I'm not a great builder. But, but, but you, can, you can be out. Uh, I never will forget, <clears throat> we were on a mission trip with a group, and I carried some men, and they were sharp. There were a couple of engineers in the group, three or four construction people in the group. We were going down to Uvalde, Texas, to build a church, a uh, Hispanic church there. And, uh, you know, I'd been gearing up with them because sometimes, you know, men who can really do stuff, sometimes they're not walking with God really like they ought to. And they had it in their mind, we were going to get down there, we were going to see how fast we could build this building. We are going to get that slab ready, that it was going to be a, a, a board uh, 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 on uh, uh, pier and beam is what I'm trying to say. It's going to be pier and beam, and we were going to build that thing, and within a week we were going to have that church ready, and we were going to rejoice and praise the Lord. We drove up down there, and those Mexicans, God love them, had cut up telephone poles, and they had started the foundation. And I mean, you talking about some, you know, and, and our guys said, they've all got to come out. I said, whoa, wait a minute, guys. Mm -mm. We can't take those out. Those men worked hard to put those in there. We've got to, and, and I never will forget that day, uh, Milton Westbrook was a lead carpenter. He said, do you see right here, we're off a, an inch right here, and by the time we get down to the end of that building, we're off 18 inches. That's how it is. You just get off a little inch here. And then, you know, it, it's the same way we do with our children. Boy, we need to be careful. Because we start letting them watch a little bit of this stuff and we start saying, hey, it's not really that bad and hey, it's not really that bad and, and everything. And, you know, my family is just like your family. If you think our family's 
good. I tell you, you're crazy. I, you know, my little granddaughter wrote a list last night on Facebook. Ten things you should not do. And, I mean, it was, you, you, um, you never ask anybody. So the first thing, anybody see that on Facebook? Anybody see that? It, it, look it up on my page tonight. The first thing was never ask anybody who they voted for in a presidential election. That was number one. That was number one. And number two, you don't smoke. I mean, I don't know all of them, that they were all in there. And, uh, and, you know, Jeremy said, you know, this, that, you know, and we were talking. And I said, you know, there's one she left out. One she left out. He said, what? I said, never drink. You know why she left that out? Because she's seen y'all drinking. Hmm. You don't think those kids don't know that? You, don't, you think your kids are stupid and dumb? They're not dumb. What this generation does in moderation, the next generation does in excess. All you got to do is look back in history to find that out. So, uh, literally here, Jesus lamented over Jerusalem. Now, I will tell you this, he's quit drinking now. They were, gonna, they were making him a deacon at First Baptist Dallas, and I said, you, you can't be a deacon. And he said, yeah, Daddy, the, the, the deacons can have a little wine. And uh, that's what the Bible said. I said, well, uh, i tell you what, you kids, what are we going to do with them? Uh, but anyway, uh, uh, Jesus in Matthew 23 lamented over Jerusalem as the city who kills the prophets and stoned God's prophets. God sent prophets there. You know what they did to them? They killed them. They stoned them. <laughs> so in the interest of simplicity, think about it this way. Wherever God's doing a great work, you can count on the devil to be there in full force. I don't care what. If God begins to do a great work here, and he has done a great work here, don't you think for a moment that the devil's not lurking at every corner trying everything he can to destroy and to tear down. You read the history of Jerusalem, you get the idea that it was a place of great spiritual warfare. And uh, Jesus set his face between good and evil, between right and wrong, between God and Satan. And boy, we need to do that today. You know what's wrong in our world today? I'm, I'm going to ask you to... to call our representative uh, come Sunday. I'm going to ask the whole church to do that because I'm one of these that supports the bathroom bill in Texas. Uh, the reason I do that is because I've got friends in Houston that gave money. You remember when the lesbian mayor decided that they were going to have the mixed bathrooms and the preacher said, no, we're not going to go for it. And they had all this petition and, and they went back and the mayor said, nope, no good, threw it out. <clears throat> those guys, those five churches with other churches around them spent $650,000 just trying to get a vote on whether or not to have mixed bathrooms or not. $650,000. Now, our state legislature can do it for nothing. They can just say in the state of Texas, I don't care if you're in Texarkana, if you're in Longview, or if you're in Dallas or Podunk City. A man's going in a man's bathroom and a woman's going in a woman's bathroom. 
That's the way it is. And so our representative is one of ten. Uh, Chris uh, 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 Patty is one of ten that's on the committee that will decide if the vote comes up. The Senate's already passed it. Now, it, it passed it by two-thirds. There's 21. There were 10 senators in Texas that voted against it. But the Republicans now are trying to get it where it's not voted on because they don't want people to try to say, well, you voted for that, you know, so they're trying to ride it through. That's politics. Now, you say, preacher, that's politics. No, listen to me. Don't misunderstand politics for government. That's not politics. That's government. And in the state of Texas, just like the Congress in the United States, there has to be a committee, the House uh, Ways and Means, they have to approve it, and then it has to get on the calendar committee and be approved before it ever goes to the House to be voted on. And one of those jerks can stop it right there, and nobody ever get to vote on it. And that's what's trying to happen in Texas. That's what's trying to happen. Now, I said all that just to <laughs> tell you this, that... Uh, there's spiritual warfare going on everywhere. If you think that this is just a, a physical thing and this is just a, you know, man, I remember when the, when the uh, you know, well, I, I, I can go back a long way and you can too. Just the last instance, though, we were told, if y'all would just go with this same-sex marriage, that's it, we'll be here. Well, it wasn't two weeks after that. Now, all of a sudden, they want you to decide what gender you are. That's, that's what's happening in America today. You get to decide. If I want to be a, a, a woman one day, I can be a woman. Who else could tell me what I am other than me? I'll tell you who else. God, the one who created you. Now, I, I remember World War II. I don't remember it. I remember reading about it. Uh, I, don't, I don't remember it. But one of the battles that fascinated me in the movies, I was watching one of the World War II movies last night. Uh, where they got down in the middle of the dam and blew up the, the dam and knocked the bridge out, and I couldn't go to bed after it was off. I've seen it a dozen times, but I had to see it one more time. But June 6, 1944, it's what they call D-Day, 130,000 Allied troops landed on the beaches of Normandy. 9,000 men gave their lives in one day. Why would they do that? Because that's where the enemy was. And they knew there had to be a cost to be paid. Man, I have watched those movies and I thought, there's got to be a better way to get on that beach than just being an open target for people with machine guns up there just mowing them down. But they were willing to do it because that's where the evil was. And so Jesus is headed to Jerusalem. The reason he's headed there is that's where the evil is. He had to go to Jerusalem because that's where the enemy was the strongest. So he had a destination. But not only his destination was Jerusalem, but we see here that his destiny was the cross. He was headed to Jerusalem, but his destiny was the cross. He predicts for the third time here in Mark chapter 10 where he would go and what would happen. He knew it. He told the disciples what would happen. They just didn't know what to do with it. Remember in chapter 8, he told them what was going to happen, and Peter rebuked him. Oh, you know, uh, that's not going to happen to you. He said, Peter, you have no idea what you're talking about. Then in chapter 9, 
uh, they were afraid to ask what was going to happen. Now, we're not looking ahead of the Scripture, but if you look at verses 35 and following, here's what's happening in chapter 10. They're arguing on who's going to sit on both sides of him. That's what they're doing. I mean, all Rome's burning, but we're going to argue about who gets to sit next to somebody. I believe James and John were probably getting it. The, the opposition was growing, the murmurs among the powerful people. And I want to tell you something, guys. You listen to me. Anytime you mess with man's religion, you get in trouble. Because religion has no grace and mercy. It's legalistic. It has little conscience. It has little compassion. It'll fight against grace. It'll fight against love. I never will forget years and years ago, W.A. Criswell, we were in a School of the Prophets uh, meeting in Dallas at First Baptist Church of Dallas, and W.A. Criswell told us preachers this, the greatest fight you will fight for revival in your churches is the people who are in your churches. We don't want anything to change. We want status quo just like it is. Don't rock the boat. If you like that, you probably ought to find you another place to go. <laughs> Let me tell you what Jesus said. He said, I'm going to be turned over to the religious people, and uh, they always have something to protect and preserve. And he said, they're going to condemn me to death. They're going to deliver me to the Gentiles. They're going to mock me, spit on me, flog me, kill me. Talk about a horrendous picture. You say, preacher, you said we're supposed to be thankful. How can we be thankful for a destiny like that for Jesus? I'll tell you how. Because he did it for you and me. That's how we can be thankful. Thank God he went to the cross. I mean, that was for me and you. Wasn't for him. He knew no sin. It was for me and you. Isaiah 53 says it like this. Despised and rejected a man, a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. We hid as it were our faces from him. He was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he had borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him and with his stripes we're healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned every one to his own way. And the Lord had laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed. He was afflicted. Yet he opened not his mouth. He brought as a lamb to the slaughter. And as a sheep before her shears is dumb. So he openeth not his mouth. He came to die. He lived to die. And he determined in his being that he was going to die. And that's why we ought to be thankful. Because he did die for you and me. For sinners. His destiny, because we were sinners, Christ died for us. And he died once, the godly for the ungodly, that he might bring us to God. Now, I dare say every one of us in this room know that. We know that. We really know that. We know the truth in our mind. But let me ask you something, honestly. Has this truth really permeated our hearts and our emotions? Or have we become unemotional about Jesus? See, when a 
33-year-old man gets killed in a car wreck. We say, what a terrible tragedy. Boy, his life was taken too early, and uh, uh, it'll stir folks up. And here, a 33-year-old man, from a human perspective, was so much ahead of him, so much left to do, nailing him to a cross. Brutal, unmerciful, and senseless. You say, how was it senseless? Pilate had already declared three different times, I find no fault in him. There's no guiltiness here. It's senseless. You be thankful today that his destination was Jerusalem. And you be thankful tonight that his destiny was the cross. Now, there's one more thing we can be thankful for out of this scripture. I love it. His directive. His directive is found in, in, in the last six words. And the third day he shall rise again. That's the directive. <laughs> Let me tell you something. If Jesus hadn't arose, we wouldn't have anything to shout about. We wouldn't have anything to get excited about. Brother Aaron, Case, and I, and Jason, Christy, we've all been praying about Easter Sunday. And, and uh, uh, it's going to be different this year than we've ever done it. <laughs> you say, preacher, you're always doing something different. Uh, you know, I got friends, and they're having four or five services where you run them in an hour and run them out and, and all this. And, and, and I told our staff, I said, you know, the greatest day that a child of God has is Easter Sunday. I mean, the greatest day. It's not Christmas. Thank God he was born on Christmas. We can celebrate that. And I can bring it. But Easter, the resurrection. And so I told Aaron, I said, I don't want you to cut nothing. I want us to have church like we ought to have church. I mean, just old-fashioned camp meeting church. Because we, now I know, and don't get mad, if people be here that ain't been here since last Easter, I know that we ain't going to say a word about them. I ain't going to worry about them. We're going to have church. Because that's our day. And the other folks who are visiting, I pray they'll get along with it and say, Woo, I want some of that. But we're not going to put on a show. We're going to have church because that's the most important day for any child of God. The, the, the third day he shall rise again. <laughs> ah, mm, life everlasting. That's the directive from the Father. Some people that I know of have given their whole life to the church but they've never given themselves to Christ. Mm. Talked with a guy just a few moments ago. And he was talking about his mother. And he'd been worried about her and praying about her. And he shared that, you know, the last time he talked with her, she got upset. Said, I know I'm going to heaven, you know, and got upset. This time she said, she was saved when she was 13, changed her whole mind and everything. And, and he was able to go over the Roman road with her and, you know, and, and share that. Folks, you know, and the, the thing she said was, I, I, I'll go to heaven because of the, the works I've done, because of what I've done. You can't do enough to go to heaven. You can't pay enough to go to heaven. 
And I, I, I want people, I, I want people to give their self to the church, to the kingdom of God, to the work of the Lord. But don't do that in place of giving yourself to Jesus. Because Jesus, you can serve the church and never meet Jesus. And a lot of these religious people had done this. Now I want to tell you something about Jesus. He's a gentleman. He is not going to elbow his way into your life. He stands at the door and knocks. He stands with open hearts and open hands saying, Come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden. I'll give you rest. But he is not going to knock you upside the face and say, Let me in. He's not going to do that. The Holy Spirit will draw you and convict you, but it is your mistake if you do not come willingly to allow him to be Lord. He'll walk away from you. But the reason to be thankful is he stands at the door of the heart and he's knocking. <laughs> and he still knocks today. And I praise God for that. Father, thank you tonight. We're a thankful people. We, we have so much.